I'm not going to have a lot of preamble for Let He Who Is Without Sin. Um, I just want to ask you what you thought of it. I like that Morn has a girlfriend. Yeah, that was cute. Um, I'm doing this for a very particular reason, which will become clear in a few minutes. Okay. I mean, I, I can't say this is my favorite episode uh, in a lot of ways. At the same time, um, I mean, both episodes this week in some ways reminded me of certain concepts from Next Generation. Um, Things Past, for example, was another one of those episodes that is similar to The Inner Light, for example. And this is a very... I mean, it's using Ryza in a very different way than Next Generation used Ryza. Ryza was, for example, when Picard went to Ryza, that's when he had an Indiana... Captain's Holiday, yeah. Yeah, that was when he had a fun Indiana Jones-style adventure. That's when he met Vash. That's when he... uh, You know, Ryza's the place where you go to relax, and if something else happens, you can have a slightly different adventure there. But it's, it's a shore leave planet. Sure. And... You know, as you know, I think its attitude towards it was similar to Dax's. At one point, she says, "I've been working hard for you know seven lifetimes. I deserve a vacation." Like these are people who are working extremely hard, and if they want to go and you know enjoy shore leave on a beach, you know they've earned it. Yeah. Um, DS Nine is using this concept of what this is. It's I do like and appreciate that it's furthering some of the themes that were in Homefront and Paradise Lost. In other words. You know, the existence of a planet who, you know, we can control the weather and, you know, it's just a place where people are going to enjoy themselves. And, you know, we're using all of the technology of the Federation to, you know, create a very pleasant atmosphere for people. Uh, it it is, in, is seen in one way as one of the goals of the Federation in that they want everybody to be able to be happy and enjoying themselves and fulfilled. And yet it's also asking the question, how far is too far? There need to be some people who safeguard that peace. Should we, you know, are, is the Federation, are places like Ryza creating a class of people who do not fight and who are not going to participate in the defense of all of this? Um, yeah. And I like that it does take it into an interesting way. I do find the villain of the episode, such as he is, to be a very plausible one and very, you know, he is not a, uh, you know, if he gets a little desperate at the end, sure, but at the same time, he's not, he's doing this for extremist reasons, he's not evil, he's not, you know, trying to do anything too crazy, and, you know, he also isn't, well, again, he's going too far, it's not like he wants to just kill people, he wa- he wants, he does genuinely believe that the Federation has gotten too soft, and in these times, we can't be soft. Well, I agree with all of that. I think that, um, and I also want to talk about Ryza because I find Ryza to be an interesting concept for a couple of reasons. But I, I, I wanted you to really start the episode, and I kind of framed it in that way because let he who is without sin has a reputation amongst Star Trek fans and amongst Deep Space Nine fans in particular as being one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever made. I see, and I wouldn't, and say I, that. I have. Ne- I'm glad because I have never understood that. Certainly it's not something no. that I would revisit a lot. I don't think that it's not a classic by any means. It it does have some pretty significant problems, which we'll talk about, but I don't see it as that outside yeah. of the scope of a middling Star Trek episode. I, and I would say it's it's a it's a fine DS it's a fine episode of DS9. 
It's not the best. It doesn't do what it does, but but it's still within the tone of DS Nine. Again, going with we, you know, there are forces in this galaxy that are too strong. You know that are not going to be reasoned or are not, you know, we're not going to get the Dominion, you know, friends with us by letting them go to Ryza when they want to go to go on vacation. You know, the Jem'Hadar are not going to, you know, be sexed into relaxation. I I do. Yeah. But I I do think that I think part of the reason why people have such a visceral reaction to this episode is, is because of Worf's actions in it. And I have read things that have basically said that they don't believe that Worf would ever do this. And my reaction to that is, have you been watching Star Trek for the (laughs) past eight years? This is one of the dumbest mistakes Worf has ever made, but it's a dumb mistake that's within his character. Yeah, I think that people think this is outside of his character, and I really don't think so. I mean, let's not forget, this is the person who in Birthright... Um, was basically trying to uh, uh, get a bunch of Klingons outside of Romulan control. and so I forget exactly what happened, but it was not something that was that great. Uh, he's done a lot of questionable things. He is someone who reacts very strongly to beliefs that he finds to be correct, and he is someone who yeah. is very... We've called him a born-again Klingon. I think that him uh, responding to uh, uh, this guy... I forget his name, Arandis, I think. Sure. Um, no, I think that was actually the woman... Um, the, I forget the guy's name, the new essentialist leader. He responds to him because I think that for Worf, he does understand the Federation as a, a little bit soft, a little bit too cushy. And he is someone who, I mean, frankly, he's someone who responds to strong men. Yeah. And he's, you know, let, let's not, let's also make it clear that this is Worf in an element that he's not at all comfortable with. Paradoxically enough, you know, Worf found it comfortable to live on the Defiant all by himself, for example. Worf does well in combat situations. This is a situation of just pleasure. He doesn't, he's wearing a Starfleet uniform the entire time. He's, he's He's, looking at all of, and, and remember part of his issue with Dax is that she's not seriously and that they're not settling down and, you know, getting married because that's, Worf is in a situation where he's stretched in a few ways and he feels that he is the only moral person in, you know, all of his friends and everybody around him is doing stuff that he doesn't find enjoyable. And suddenly here's one guy who gets it. Yeah, because Worf has never been fun loving. Worf is not someone who laughs very often. He's not someone who likes to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the issue that people have with this episode as well is that uh, his his sort of reactions to Dax seem very strange, with which I agree with. I I I do really appreciate the fact that Dax straight up says to him at one point, like, because yeah. he says, "Well, if you were a Klingon woman, we'd already be married." And you know, Dax at one point she has enough of it, and she says something like, "Do you have you known many Klingon women?" Yeah, like, I mean, this- she makes it very clear that as Curzon, she did. <laughs> like that is the thing about Worf that we've talked about over and over again is that he has a very. Um, sort of cast an amber understanding of Klingon society. Yeah. He's never lived in a, in a Klingon, you know, planet. He's never really been around Klingons for longer than a few weeks. And so yeah. he doesn't have the lived experience of what it means to actually be a Klingon growing up in that culture. And so for him, he's like you said, I think a couple episodes ago, he's gotten all of his knowledge of Klingons from like, you know, Star Trek, you know, the Federation Wikipedia. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I like the fact that Dax basically says, look, you don't know anything yeah. about Klingons. You know, you don't 
have the like love for life that Klingons yeah, have. Yeah, which you is don't... something that we've said, you know, that's the and that was the reaction of, you know, Worf in a way to the Jem'Hadar a few episodes ago saying, you know, they don't yeah. celebrate, they don't, you know, and that is something we've always known about Klingons. They are they and Dax, you know, explicitly calls it out, you know, they like their opera, they like their food, they like their wine, you know, a battle is, a, after a battle is a joyous occasion, you know, to, uh, yeah, Worf never lets his hair down, and... Well, we, I mean, and I, and I think we do have to grapple with the, with the revelation in this yes. episode that Worf killed someone when he was a teenager, which, you know, okay, maybe that works, it's, maybe that doesn't, but I don't want to talk about it right now, well, yeah. but, but I think that, that for me, what, what it really comes down to is... This is an episode that I find entirely consistent with Worf's character that yeah. I don't think a lot of other people do. And and I, you know, we've made an argument for it being consistent with his character. He has always been someone that's like this. I I find more of a problem with the Dax and Worf relationship, honestly. You know, and I don't necessarily. I mean, I've been I was the one who was, you know, I I've been pushing for them to get together and I you know liked when they did. And I think this is an interesting spot for them to be in, and frankly, a <laughs> Uh-oh, a what? spot. Oh, which itch now that she's taken the juice. Um, you don't take juice; you put it up your butt, Richard. Ew. Um, is that what Jaharu is? Yeah. Okay. Jamaharan, you mean? I don't know what words are. Um. Well, here okay. I like the conflict that they're in with this, though, because I think it is one. No, which... it's a sitcom conflict. It's ridiculous. I mean, this is what this is what my problem with Dax and Worf primarily are: is that the show wants us to buy that they have some sort of romantic relationship, which okay, fine. But I buy it more than Worf and Troy. Well, sure. I mean, I think that I would buy Worf and Riker more than Worf Aww. and Troy. But I think that my my primary problem with the Worf and Dax relationship is that. It seems to me that these are just two people that are really attracted to each other sexually and like to fuck. Yeah. And and they're trying to make that into some sort of grand romance. And but, I, frankly, I don't buy that Dax would be uh, this into Worf. Uh, you know, and I also don't buy the fact that Dax would let Worf talk to her like this. I mean, well, you know, I, I, he's a stick in the mud. He's essentially saying, look, you need to marry me. I want to control your life. And Dax is like, okay. You know, and it's like, come on. like, No, but I, number one in this episode, I think she's saying no. She's trying to figure out why are you acting like such an asshole? But I mean, again, this Dax but I, but is, I think, how many times have we seen Dax want to jump in, jump into a relationship that's maybe not the most thought out thing, but we've noticed this is a character law of hers in a way i think war you know she was willing to jump onto that weird hollow you know weird phased planet you know for the next you know 80 years or something like that just because why not so i do see a version of her that again i, I buy well, why they got together and i can see a version of her that says well we have so much in common you know might as well you know this will be fun what do they have in common uh, that she knows a lot about klingons and he's klingon um I know a lot about Americans. But Does that again, mean that I'm going to be attracted to every single American? Like that's it's how it works for me. Remember <laughs> about, uh, but again, rem- and also remember, Dax has 500 years in the future. How many? How many? Okay, but but I having think, uh, having 500 years of experience and having a sort of expansive understanding of your your place in the world and having a lot of time is very different from letting someone treat you like Worf is treating Dax. No, and I think this... And, I mean, yeah, your example of of Meridian back from the second season, I think it was, 
is fine. But I think that that made more sense because I bought that relationship a yeah. lot more. And also I bought the fact that Dax was still relatively new to being joined at that point. She was still relatively new to being on Deep Space Nine. She wasn't as invested in her life at That's that point. Fair. And frankly, she's joined, so what does it matter to her? Whereas she's kind of already used to the idea that you know people that she knows yeah. are going to die, and she's going to outlive people in some fashion. Whereas what my primary problem with the Worf and Dax relationship, I think, really, is that it speaks to the problem I find when men write women. Mm. And there is a, and I, you know, I don't want to overstate this. I don't think that anybody on the writing staff of Deep Space Nine is 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 sexist or misogynist, but I do find that there is an understated sort of um, a, a patriarchal element to this, where it, it, Dax is a character which is being treated like an object by the man that she is in a relationship with, and instead of her going, you know what, I don't want any part of this, which would be really consistent with her character because Dax has always been a headstrong, you know, joie de vivre kind of character that doesn't really take anyone's shit. And instead, she is kind of playing the demure woman that is trying to make the somewhat emotionally abusive boyfriend into a better person. Well, I guess I and, guess my question is how long has he been semi-emotionally abusive because part of the implication I got Does it matter? Like it, they've only, they've only been going out for a couple of months. Because I think both of them are at the point where they've been yeah, they've been going out a couple of months and now they're at the point where all right, this wasn't just a tiny fling, like this has the potential to, you know, we need to actively go through this. And I think that's where Worf's, you know, we, you know, he says at the beginning several times, we need to talk, we need to talk. You get the sense she is avoiding that because... Yeah, she's avoiding it because Worf is once again trying to dictate the terms of their relationship by saying, we need to talk, we need to talk, we need to talk. And so... I I don't think Dax thinks she wants to. No, and I think both of them, you know, both of them... Maybe this episode is, you know, this episode is maybe kind of showing the, the showing off the fact that yeah, they aren't quite compatible. Like they are having a weird friction, and that's coming to to a head on Riza again, partially because of Worf's uncomfortableness. You know, it, I, not that I'm saying the way that he treats her is right, but I think that's the place that it's coming from. I think when he is on Deep Space Nine. It's less of an issue, and this just, is just – I mean she almost seems to think that this is kind of coming out of nowhere in some ways. I, maybe. I don't know. I, I find it to be a very strange way for the show to go of in course. the relationship, and I find it very problematic that a character like Dax would notice a red flag like this and is someone that she's only yeah. known – I mean she's really only known War for a year. They've really only been dating, quote-unquote, for a month or so yeah, yeah, yeah. or two months maybe at the most – that now he is trying to control her life to some degree and instead of running she's going to cuz like what what is the advantage to this like cuz in a, this is my problem is like in the real world if uh, uh, if if like i was going out with someone that started treating me yeah. like this i'd be like okay you know what see so you because I. this is not going to get better yeah well you agree with me so why yeah, but so why I, you don't know, you believe me when i say that dax should do that as well like it, it's what's you but know but i no i i guess i don't see what parts of her are particularly demure i mean she I, I, I think, you know, maybe in some way she's... She doesn't a- immediately tell him to stop acting like this. That's my problem with it. She is entertaining this sort of alpha Klingon bullshit where he wants to control her and she doesn't say even anything the bit, about I it. I mean, even something as simple as the bit with the juice where he's like, you shouldn't have that. And she's, she, 
you know, drinks it even to, you know, it is a bit of cutting off her nose to spite her face, but, you know, that is her making the point, like, look, I, you know, even if you're saying something that is literally in my best interest, you don't fucking control me. Like, I think that is her, you know, I just, I think that Dax, as a character, as portrayed as she has been in these past, you know, four seasons, wouldn't do that. She would say, listen, Worf, this is who I am. You need to either shut the fuck up about this or well, we're Well, that's done. where they eventually go with it at the end when they have the discussion and he finally reveals about, you know, killing this other kid. And I Which mean, is like the wor- – like I just – I know. It's not like dark page level of a retcon. It's, it doesn't fit quite as neatly as the other stuff. I will agree. That was something that they just kind of pulled out of their ass on this episode. Yeah, yeah. They, they I, wanted to come up with some sort of reason why Worf is so buttoned up, which, okay, fine. I think it's, and I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's okay. I mean, obviously it was an accident. He didn't mean to kill Yeah, this, he didn't mean but to he's kill at the point kid. where he can't be exuberant. He does need to be in control all times because this is what's going to happen if he doesn't. But that's my, I think that's my primary problem with that revelation. Not that it doesn't make sense because, you know, it's fine. I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's consistent with his character and this is not something that he would probably want to talk about very much with anybody. Um, And if he's going to share it with anybody, it's going to be with the woman that he is in a romantic relationship with. But, you know, my, my primary problem with it is the show is using that as some sort of justification, not only for Worf's, you know, sort of buttoned up nature and Worf's reaction to the new essentialist movement, but also his interactions with Dax. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think because I look at something like the way that he treated Kaylair back in the, the second season of TNG, yes. where he was like, we need to get married. And she's like, yeah, fuck you. No, we're not. That's, that's how I want to see Dax react to this hmm. bullshit. I don't want to see Dax entertain it. And I think that's my problem with it. And I'm actually yeah. surprised you don't have more of a problem with it. I don't know. Maybe it's because I wanted, you know, da- I liked Jackson Wharf, and maybe this episode. I, I again, I'm not going to say this is a good episode, uh, but maybe it just seemed like an off tone rather than. I, I, yeah, I don't know that. I, I guess, I guess I consider it poor writing of a realistic issue. Okay, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Yeah. So let's talk about the new essentialist movement then, because I this reminds me of that anti-technology planet that Cisco and what's his, and was it Bashir or was it O'Brien? O'Brien were stuck on. Like obviously, this you know that this is I don't know that wasn't a great episode either. I don't remember. No, but, I liked it. I uh, thought I thought we both liked it. Okay, we both liked it, but that certainly does seem to be a undercurrent of philosophy in 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 this universe and it's one that makes complete sense or at least in deep space nine i will say well fair enough um that there would be a bunch of people who are reacting to the softness of technology i mean even you have it even as simply as kira doesn't really like to go in on holodeck adventures because she'd rather do the real thing um i mean that's a much milder version of cisco cooks yeah, exactly. You know, they they Riker cooked too, but you know, you know, yeah, they have. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, people do have certain. Uh, it's almost an idiosyncrasy that Cisco cooks because you know, but but given how much Starfleet seems to encourage art within their yeah, you know, their people and a well-rounded you know liberal arts education in some ways. Yeah, that that seems like another thing, just like some people, you know, like how Data paints, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you have on one end people who just find certain things, would rather work with their hands and things, and technology helps us with the other things. But the the 
flip side of that is that we are too dependent on technology. And if these things go wrong, again, I, I mean, his all of his points are when they do the, as wrong as the fake raid on you know in the dining hall is. Their point is very well taken. I mean, if the Jemadar do man- manifest on Ryza, they're go- the planet's going to last five minutes. Yeah, but I think if, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine. I'm not trying to think of like, a, you know, I mean, if the Germans invaded Ohio during World War II, yeah. well, the same thing I mean, would have happened. But, but at the, which is where I think the episode does end, you know. It does end with the fact that because while, while Worf does seem to agree, and he, I think Worf ends this episode agreeing that there need to be people, the people in Starfleet himself, who need to take on that responsibility of protecting the civilians. I think the show still does believe in, you know, the utopian project of the Federation, and does believe that, you know, this is what the people in Starfleet make their sacrifices for in order to guard this, this, you know, the existence of Ryza is a precious thing. There needs to be a place where people can just go and enjoy themselves and not have cares and worries. And And also, I mean, frankly, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you go back to Homefront and Paradise Lost from, from last season, for example, uh, and, and there was sort of this, this thing about changelings on earth and there was martial law and, and, and earth was, but but Earth was fine. Like yeah. there there's an implica- there's a there's a there's sort of an understanding that even though there is something very bad happening and they are threatened, you know they're not going to go back to a sort of 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 uh, uh, yeah. they're not going to have riots or something like that. And so I think that that's really where the episode comes down. I mean I do agree with you that that the existence. I think another reason why people don't like this episode is because they don't really buy the new essentialist movement. Oh, and I completely. I, buy and that. I buy it too because I I do. You know, one of the things about Star Trek that that is always sort of problematic is that it doesn't really ever examine civilian life that much, and I don't know that I'm really interested in doing that because, or or, or the series doing that or the franchise doing that because. I don't know that it matters that much. It's the kind of thing where I like – I mean Deep Space Nine, we've seen probably the most glimpses of civilian life. Again, we've seen what life is like for Cisco's father who's just an average citizen and his clientele. We see you know, but many you, of the if people – you, if you look people, at it too closely, it starts to of fall course, apart. Of like, course. Why would someone run a restaurant and do all that hard work? If they're not getting paid, what's the point? Like, I think that there is an element to it that you just kind of have to go, you know what? It's probably exactly. not a good thing for us to look too closely at this. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, why is everyone on Ryza working so hard to make sure these people are having a good time? They don't get anything out of it. I There's mean, some implication that it's their culture and that, you know, I, I think— Well, and I also want to talk about Ryza and culture. Yeah. But I, I, think I mean, that, to a degree, I think there is—I guess it's a case of where you can certainly see why people would want to be chefs. You know, you could see why— you know, people. Uh, we can definitely see. By, I can. I, I can, can understand. Buy Cisco's father as somebody who likes to run his restaurant and feed all these people, and he likes to go in and talk to all of his customers. He's that guy. I can't see the guy who has to be in the dish room. Right. You know, I can't see the prep cook there. I can't see the garbage man. Right. That's kind of my problem. With and that. maybe that's done. You know. And maybe that's where technology goes in. You know. Maybe they just. I mean, they dump all of their trash into the replicator and, you know, it makes it out of existence. So they're not really worrying about that. Well, I think and I think that that actually is a good point, because that's what the new essentialist movement is missing, is that, yes, yeah. technology does 
soften you to some degree, but that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing necessarily. And it also, the technology also frees people yeah. to not have to live hand to mouth lies, uh, you know, lives uh, uh, that are frankly horrible. Well, that's one of the things, you know, and it allows people to not have to be garbage men. Yeah. Not I that mean, there's anything wrong with no, being no, a garbage no. man, but you know. But in our society, for example, we ha- we create a lot of machines and we are in the process always of creating more machines to save labor from people you know from people now in our society which is not, which is a scarcity society that means that those people are out of jobs yeah. if we invented a device that could efficiently take care of all of the garbage on the street and we figured out all the logistical problems then all the garbage men would be out of jobs yeah. in the federation it says well that's okay because you know it's not like they're going to starve it's not like they're going to lose their homes and they're going to do something that is more, you know, interesting to them, or they're going to follow whatever bliss they want to do. Now, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's... and and that again, one of the things I keep coming to is that the the Federation is built around replicator technology. If it did not have replicator technology, I don't think the Federation could exist. There was no replicator technology in the original series. That's true. But so, the fe- I guess the Federation, as it ex- as we've seen it now, the way Earth exists, maybe I, maybe that's what I mean. Earth, Earth, this utopian Earth can only exist in a post scarcity society. Uh, yeah, I guess, and I think that that you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that the new essentialist movement is is fine, and and it does uh, it, it bridges something, and I think that rise and I don't know because I rise in culture to me is interesting. I don't really understand it. Yeah, especially I, because they say without the technology, it's a jungle. You know, it's right? Rain. Like, right? That that that's my primary problem with it. Is like, how did is this like a real culture? Is this something that was like? Because obviously, Riza was not this way before the existence of the Federation, no. and the existence of the Federation has only been for about two hundred years. But I mean, so where did this culture come from? It seems like is it a constructed culture? Well, was this what it was like before? I mean, you you know, I, I think in a way, because we can talk about stuff like corporate culture, for example, you know, so you have a bunch of people who are going to create this pleasure planet and, you know, they're coming from all over the Federation. This is a hundred years ago, let's say. And this place, you know, this, well, this resort I... has been in place for a hundred years and so it has its own little culture. These are all people from different planets or maybe some who are born there, but I don't know. I That's... don't think they're human. Like, I don't, I get the impression that they yeah. are a different species. So I don't know. It's I guess that's again. We this, could be, I, this isn't we, a great episode. These are parts where it doesn't hold together. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that that it is an important question to ask because I do think that um, at the end of the day, it, it 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 if if the rising culture is a constructed culture and if they have created this planet that is so wonderful and everything yeah. and you know frankly, Riza does not seem like my kind of vacation. Well, because you're not straight. Because you're yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I, I don't like beach vacations. Yeah. Um, I find them very boring. Um, but anyway, that's not really relevant. I think that that at the end of the day, if you look at this and you say the existence of Ryza is actually a really strong argument for the existence of the Federation because it has created this kind of wonderful thing yeah. that a lot of people take value in. And everybody on Ryza that lives on Ryza seems like they're really happy. So, I, you know, I think it all kind of ties together nicely. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, I don't think this episode is that bad. No, and I think that's a, it's a solid middling episode. I like the, I, I mean, the Lita and Bashir subplot. 
I like. I think it's nice that we have this ritual of separation. It's, you know. Tells you a lot about Bajoran culture. Exactly. And, you know. It Either just, that or Lita made it up. Either way. <laughs> I like that we learned that Lita is actually into Rom, and you know, because I think their relationship has been cute. We really first see it in the one where he becomes the strike leader. Yeah. And, you know, from stuff that, you know, in the assignment, he mentions that, you know, yeah, we've been talking a lot, you know, and they've been friends. And I like, I, I, I don't know. I think they're, they're adorable. So uh, I think. Stay tuned. Aww. Um, yeah. The only problem I have with that subplot really is that it comes out of nowhere. Like I didn't even really know that Bashir and Lita were dating. They, well, yeah, we never like there was that one scene where I think they were going to go out or something. I got the like... sense that they had a very casual relationship, but you know, they were friends, but they both have their own separate lives. And every so often, you know, Hey, it's Saturday night. Well, let's go out, you know, maybe they're, or maybe they're a regular weekly date, but I, I do think that again, that's another relationship there where, uh, uh, they were very sexually attracted to each other yeah. and they just didn't really have much else in common and they realized it, you know, and but that, again, and that's a nice contrast. Yeah. Because, well, I should say also that maybe to wrap this up is that, um, one of the, one of the problems that the, the producers had with this episode was that they really wanted to make this an episode episode that was sort of much more uh, uh sexualized yeah um than it could be because this was syndicated and it, it aired as early as like three o'clock in the afternoon in some places and okay. so they they couldn't do that yeah so it really comes across as a little strange i was gonna say yeah it, it doesn't see now it's not quite as uncomfortable with sex as tng was I mean, the, these are characters who their sex lives do feel real, you know. I but just, I think that we do have to recognize that part of the Star Trek 90, 80s and 90s uncomfortableness that we have with sexuality is is a, a, a product of the fact yeah. that it was a syndicated television show that was airing early in the afternoon in some markets more than anything else. Yeah, and I will say this, and this is, is a perfect example of that, I think. This is another example of one which uh allows for the existence of uh, of a lesbian relationship but then shies away because uh you know, Dax Worf is jealous that da- you know, Worf sees this other woman as a possible lover for Dax but that's not where she's going. Right. Also, I don't know how I feel about Curzon being sexed to death, but yeah, that, was that doesn't seem to jive with how we see him in the pilot episode. But oh yeah, that's because there's right. a very there's a very brief glimpse where the two of them are in you know the hospital as they're about to do the transfer, and I got you get the sense that Curzon is dying after an illness or something like that, or they he is still certainly alive at that Shh. moment. They want you to not remember that. If I will, I'm going to be honest about something though. As much as I thought this episode was fine, if I have to choose between remembering the emissary and remembering Let Hughes Without Sin, which is not a really even a good title for this episode, no. I'm remembering the emissary. It's called emissary. I'm yeah. not remembering it very well. <laughs> All right, let's talk about things past. I don't know that I like this episode very much. Both of these episodes, in their way, felt a little redundant. I will say. Um, and in a way, gave us revelations about characters that we didn't necessarily need to have. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think it's funny that you know the pre- you know uh, Odo's predecessor is played by the same guy who was the father in that '70s show, <laughs> and he's a lot less scary playing a Cardassian security officer. In this. Yeah, his performance is a little muted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's which I guess those... is part of the point because that's what Cisco says at one point. Like he doesn't have the the casual brutality that he has come to yeah, find yeah, yeah. Cardassian security officers, which is a nice line. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like. I 
think I get what they were trying to do with this episode. They were trying to muddy the waters with 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 Odo a little bit and make him a little less morally upstanding. But but I also feel like they already kind of did that with with um the episode where it was revealed that you know he with uh, uh with Kira back yeah. from the, the third season. That's that's I and I guess part of it is because we are dealing with the same time period in both uh occasions. But and yeah, I guess I do feel like. I mean, this is, number one, an episode that would have made a lot more sense back before Odo became human. I feel like that would have fit to—not necessarily much fit his character, but Odo's dealing with other shit right now, and there are a lot of other—there is a lot of really interesting stories we can be telling with Odo right now, given that he is human for the first time and still getting used to it. And I don't think this is the most interesting story. I think this is a much more interesting story to tell— Right after Odo finds out that he's a changeling and that his his he is being morally grayed, yeah. Because this is about Odo's moral graying. Odo, as a human, is more about him learning to be humanoid, about having to accept again a lot of things that he felt that he was against. And one of the things that I've really appreciated about Rene Auberjonois' portrayal of Odo in the fifth season, once he's become human, is that he is playing him as a lot more unsure, unsure yeah. of himself, a lot more scared, and which makes sense because he is able to be injured really for the first yeah. time. He, he is not sort of invincible. Not that Odo was invincible, but he was, again, he la- was a lot less fragile than Odo is now. Last week, O'Brien sucker punched him, which was something that he could not have been done when he was a changeling. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that what, what I like about this episode is that Odo comes across as, yes, he is obviously horrified because he realizes um, that he is in the time period where he he you yeah. know, unfortunately you know had these three men killed, um, but it's not like he is he's a little too worried about it, and I think he's a little too worried about it because he realizes that he might die. Yeah, and I don't think that he would have thought that if he was still a changeling. I mean, he's having panic attacks in this episode. Yeah, and yeah. that's very uncomfortable to see. I guess. Uh, because again, Odo has always been unflappable, and even when he's, you know, even when he tells the story to Cisco about, you know, oh, I tried to turn into a bird and I just fell and broke my leg, you know, he's more embarrassed than he and and worried than he is like panicking about it. Like this is that is true, but um, and, and again, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess my 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 fundamental problem with things past though is I'm not really sure like you said, what we're supposed to get out of this episode because it does already doesn't tell us anything new about Odo. And in fact, it makes him look a little worse than he did before. And it it feels very much like a retread of, what was it? I forget the name of the episode, but the episode where he, you know, he, he examines his past with with Kira. Yeah. Now, and and in that episode, we find some moral graying of Kira here is returning the favor by finding, moral graying of Odo, but... Well, yeah, but it also did morally gray Odo as well, because the end of that episode, if I remember it correctly, was, you know, Kira sort of being disappointed in Odo that he uh, uh, wasn't as upstanding and and, and sort of didn't investigate that as much as he he said he did. And, of course, Kira was also a little morally great in that episode because mm-hmm. it turned out that she did this thing, you know, yeah. and, and Odo did not think that she did. So it was kind of a, a, a two, yeah. you know, a two-sided thing. It was tit-for-tat in this episode. And then you get the end of this episode, which is almost exactly the same conversation yeah. they had at the end of the, that episode. Except you can tell that Nana Visitor is just kind of tired and wants to have her baby already, you know, with this, like, she... Well, fun fact, I think she had the baby Oh, my point, God. And she, she was back, and that was actually padding, I think. Okay. 
I mean, she she looks very tired, and that's it. But well, she just had a baby. Again, so I was gonna no, <laughs> either way. There's a dozen reasons why she, you know, she didn't necessarily want to go for her five minute scene. Sure, but um, I have to say that scene did have a the the Odo and Kira friendship is something that has been really I I this episode hit home how much I miss their friendship. Yeah, you know, there is a fundamental breaking there have been several fundamental breaks in their friendship and every time they sort of get something like this happens and now it even makes it worse and even uh i mean there's just such that sadness when she's like all right we all did some you know we all got a little dirty you know it's okay we can you know i i i can I, I killed some people, you know, if you made the wrong call, I can live with that, but that can only be the wrong, and the fact that he doesn't even know, you know, that, that I don't know, that there's just some, there is some irrevocable, irrevocable break in their relationship that I find the show is lamenting. I mean, I guess it was worth it for that feeling, but it's sad because, it's more sad for Odo than it is for Kira, though, because obviously Kira is... Kira now has the O'Briens looking out for her, and they have their backs. And even though it's not Odo, she does still have that. Who does Odo have now? Yeah, well, I mean, I I disagree with that only because I know what happens of course. later. And I will and... say that I am sure that they are, before the end of the series, going to patch it up or figure something out. Or not. Oh, I just, I can't. I, I have to just, okay. you know, like it's... <laughs> New conversation. Yeah, it's like it's too... I don't want to make you look bad, so I'm like, I'm trying to be like, oh. let's just move on from this because... One of them kills the other? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I, that's, I think that's why I have such a problem with it is like there's... I don't know. It, it it feels like an episode that's in search of some sort of point. Yeah. And if the point is that... Odo wasn't the, you know, you know, a, a, a Joe Friday of of Tarok Nor and sort of didn't. Yeah, because the whole episode is is the episode is sort of is sort of bookended, of course, by or, or sort of, I guess, not bookended, but but starting out by by having them go to this like convention or, yeah, or, or conference. something conference about about the occupation. And there I think that Odo is very embarrassed by the ways in which um people on Bajor view him. He is almost viewed as some sort of mythical figure that was sort of like a a, a savior for the Bajorans on Terok Nor. Yeah. And, you know, he's obviously think I mean the the whole point of this episode or the setup for this episode is that they get hit by this plasma storm. He still has some morphogenic enzymes or whatever in his brain. And it whatever. was once at all, and it was at once an ass pull that kind of made sense. I was okay with it, but I just hope there's no time travel for a while. Yeah, this wasn't. Yeah, it's w- not. This isn't a direct time travel episode. This wasn't sure. time travel, but yeah, but it's kind of like the same. I want to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next five episodes are all about time travel. Yay! Now. But then you know, so obviously he's thinking about this horrible thing that he did. The implication at the the implication at the end of the episode, informed by what this entire episode was predicated on, of course, is that this perhaps was the only time that this happened because this is where his brain was going when he was thinking about a a time that he failed. Yeah. The implication also could be that this was the worst time that Odo failed. Or the one time that Odo knows that he failed. That is, yeah. And I think that was part of the implication of I don't know because, you know, Odo, you know, Odo happened to see another report which, you know, kind of cleared them and, you know, how many reports did Odo not see? O- Odo cannot... What, what matters is that 
whether or not Odo made the right call, he knows for a fact he probably didn't make every single right call. And, you know, hopefully, you know, there was no nothing as bad as all this that he made the wrong call of. But he will never be sure. Yeah. There is no way of being sure. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do wonder, though, about this whole this whole thing with Thrax, the the Cardassian uh, security chief, because I don't the, one of the one of the things that's weird about this episode is it's sort of sloppy in ways mm. like they make this. I, and I don't really know what the point of this is. And maybe you have some insight here. But they say that, you know, Thrax was the security chief on Terraknor nine years ago before Odo. This happened. But then they say that they're actually seven years ago and Odo should be here. So why isn't he here? And like, obviously, the implication is that it's Odo's fantasy. And so Odo's not there. Because well, no. Might, so know. what? Ha- so nine years ago, nine years ago, for whatever reason, and it's Cardassian. So we could come up with a dozen reason. Thrax leaves his post. At that point, I think Gul Dukat is, you know, kind of overseeing or, or just kind of ad hoc investigators. At that point, the case where Odo uh, ultimately investigates Kira comes up. Yes. And Gul because Gul Dukat almost seems to just randomly pick Odo just because why not? Like, you get the sense that he's picked a couple of, you know, investigators, right. and that's almost just a lark of his, you right. know, or a whim. And, of course, Odo does so well in that situation, according to Gul Dukat, that he ultimately, you know, gets the post. So let's say a year goes by, it's eight years ago, and Odo has is fully the position of chief of security. Seven years, another year goes by, it's seven years ago, Odo investigates this incident with. So, of course, in his mind, he has filtered out his existence there because he... He he wants to place the blame for these three deaths on somebody that's not him. Thrax conveniently not being here is kind of the scapegoat, but that creates such a massive contradiction because if he was there when this case has happened, where was Odo? Right, and I guess that was kind of my understanding. It, it, yeah, it, it, it is a detail that I guess it's just you know th- this is Odo is trying to edit it in a way that but yeah his his own edit of it is sloppy and well that, it doesn't and that work. yeah and that makes sense to me and i i thank you for that summation because that that actually is helpful but um i think that my problem with that is it's tr- i think it's try i think the episode is trying to tell the audience something about the fact that this isn't actually really happening but it's it's telling because I I think that the well, episode would have been stronger if we had heard about the existence of Thrax before and that I agree with that if, and and you I know, you know even, if we if we had some sort of like time frame to put him in I think that would have helped a lot more even if simply as when uh, obviously you know they can't go back and fix this but when you know Dukat was you know deputizing Odo he could have said well as you know Thrax our head of security was unfortunately recalled back to Cardassia, you know, with some yeah. sinister implications, like if that kind of a line had been said. Because I also think that um, the other problem with the episode is that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Dax has this whole subplot about her going off with Gold Ducat, because this is Odo's dream or Odo's, you know. But they're all like kind of taken into the, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, it's, it's yeah. That's, that's the thing. The entire great, you know, thing about the mini Great Link or whatever, it's all bullshit. It's just a way to get you know, these characters in, and I almost wonder, I, I don't know, like... And the whole thing about them sort of quantum leaping it, where they look like the people that they're supposed to yeah. look like, and nobody sees them as the people they actually are. Well, all, again, all <laughs> of that, you know, all of that doesn't, you know, it none of it does make sense. It's true, and that's all because this is, 
This is Odo imagine, you know, going over the situation in his head with some gigantic pieces of tape over certain bits with like, you know, Thrax written down or Changeling, you know, or right. it's other people. And this is seven years ago. And slow the episode is then peeling the tape and seeing what the actual story pre-edits was. Yeah, because I think that, yeah, that, that actually. Because the, because well, the story as we know it at the end, at one point. Odo, while Odo was chief of security, the, he investigated these three people, yeah. found them guilty based on circumstantial evidence, and had them executed. That does make sense, and that sure. is the real version of history, this version where, well, it was really Thrax, and he was a changeling, and every so often, you know, I started, you know, having pa- – that does make no sense. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, I don't know – I mean, this, I guess, is my problem with, with sort of fantasy or, or, or dream things in general is that – um, since none of this is actually happening, since none of this is actually real, like seeing Gold Ducat in this episode, seeing Thrax in this episode, seeing the other Bajorans in this episode, it 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 and also like Cisco doesn't do much in this episode. I yeah. think Garrick is weird in this episode, which we'll talk about because I have some problems with the way Garrick is portrayed. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh we are supposed to take all this as a character beat for Odo. Yeah. And frankly, I don't know that I like this character beat for Odo. Yeah. And I wonder if this episode would have made more sense if Dax, Sisko, and Garrick had not been involved, if it had just been something that happened to Odo. Yeah, that could be, actually. I think that that might work better because at that point it would be much more focused on Odo's sense of guilt over this than anything yeah. else. Yeah. I mean he could be meeting up with the other, you know, the three people live and you know remembering what because happened. Because I I all, yeah, yeah, cuz I do wonder too cuz you know they do this thing where they they go into the in the present quote unquote even though they never went back into the past and yeah. they show us yeah, Worf yeah, yeah. and and Bashir and they're in sick bay and they have a couple of scenes like that early on in the episode and then it's completely dropped. So there are things about the episode plotting wise and even scene wise that seem a little yeah a little messy to me. I I mean we talked I'm trying to remember what we said about the inner light while you know that we because we cut to the bridge a few times in that and we see that you know this is just happening and they're trying, you know, what's with the probe and what's with his, you know, and we can't detach this kind of thing. Um, I think that that's why they do that in this episode as well. Because if yeah. I remember the inner light, we said that that's actually important because yes. it indicates to the audience that this is not actually happening. But I think to a degree, maybe we didn't need those indications in this because that was the well, mystery think- of what's going on is the point of this episode. The mystery of what's going on is not the point of the inner light. The point of the inner light was about, you know, this culture and about Picard's experience yeah. and about the meaning that he takes from this. We are we are taking some meaning out of this trip, but I think to I think the episode is much more interested in why is this happening to these people and why are these contradictions cropping up? And yeah. Why is this happening. And so if we know that, you know, well, these people are, you know, they're just, Odo's just unconscious and obviously it's some kind of mental inner light kind of thing then. Well, yeah, that's, I guess that's my question for you is, is, you know, because I knew that this wasn't real. Obviously this wasn't time travel, but did you pick up on that early? I didn't really, I, I certainly didn't come up with the answer that, you know, they did in this one. And, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess that's my problem with it is like either you take out those scenes of them in sick bay and you leave it ambiguous as to whether or not this is really happening. Because it could look, you know, I, I think or it could look, you keep those scenes in and make it very clear that this isn't yeah. actually happening. But the episode doesn't do either of those. I think I might have left liked the episode more if they had had us believe, well, this is time travel. 
are we in an alternate universe? You know, is this the mirror universe? Is this, you know, there are a bunch of possibilities that could be. Obviously, we see that this is just a mental projection. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So I want to talk about Garrick because I find Garrick's characterization in this episode to be a little weird. How so? He's extremely racist against Bajorans. (laughs) And I don't think that we've seen any indication of that really. That's fair. And I think that it comes across as very odd. Yeah. And outside of his character, frankly. Yeah, and not in a way which, you know... Yeah, I guess I guess I can agree with you on that, and it's not like he's doing it to suck up to his superior, you know, to other people or the Cardassians or anything like that. It's just he's he's you know because Garrick has always struck me as a character that is not racist against Bajorans in the same way that no, he certainly believes Cardassians in Cardassian superiority, but that doesn't necessarily means that Bajorans are particularly inferior. You I don't know? know if he believes in Cardassian superiority. I think he believes in. Cardassia, or maybe Cardassian superiority for Cardassians. I get, yeah. I, I don't, you know, he didn't, I mean, we've never really gotten an indication of how he felt about the occupation one way or the other, although I think it, well, actually, no, I don't think that's true. I think at some point he did say he thought it was a bad idea. Yeah. Now, of course, he could be playing this up, but the episode just starts out on a very bad note because yeah. it's Garrick basically going, I think that the occupation was great for Bajor, and how dare they? And they're all fucking idiots. But, you know, and it's like, that just doesn't seem like the Garrick yeah, that we have come to know. I mean, you know. can see Garrick, you know, there is certainly Garrick as he is on his everyday, and Garrick after he's just been in a con- in a conference where he's been blamed for every single thing that went wrong for Bajor just because he was there. You Why know? did he go? Well, that's, that's the, you know, he says, <laughs> like, I was there to provide a bad... Like, it seems like a very stupid move for him to make, but... He wasn't even on Terraknor, so, no. like, what... Like, I don't think he was involved in the occupation at all, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, I... Well, there was that story about the shuttle on Bajor and Yeah, you know, I just got a headcanon it as, you know, these, you know, uh, 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 everybody was talking about this conference and Garrick happened to be there. Oh, that sounds really interesting, you know? I would be very interested to see how they portray the, you know, Cardassian occupation from the war. Oh, well, we got an extra ticket, you know, would you like to go? Hey, why not? I I would be very, you know, oh, you know, they'll let you give a, give a talk. Okay, hey, why not? I'll talk about that. And I don't know. It, it, I also, it all seems very sort of like improv and like yes ending. It's just like, yeah, we're going to do this. Doesn't now this we're gonna seem go like this? one of those scripts that bummed around for, because the premise is it great. It does, yeah. The premise is wonderful. And it seems like one of those where they had the idea, all right, they find themselves back on Tarek Noor and, you know, things are different and ultimately they're revealing that, you know, Odo let three people die who were innocent. And – but not really figuring out how to fully do it and finally, all right, we got to get this thing out the door. Now is a good time as any. Well, I think both of these episodes we've talked about do that. Yeah. I mean, Let He Who Was Without Sin did that with the big revelation that Worf killed somebody when he was a teenager accidentally. And now Odo, when he accidentally, uh, well, maybe not accidentally, but but did not uh, uh, Didn't uh, do, his due do, his, do his due diligence and do his job thoroughly enough to, to get these innocent men to not be murdered. Um, and I don't know that either one of them really tell us much. I mean, I think Worf's revelation makes a lot more sense than Odo's in this yes. episode. But at the end of the day... You know, there, there. I think this what, isn't the dark page. No, and and which we both liked, but I think that, that yeah. what I think what that what, was an example of doing a retcon, a character retcon that actually worked 
perfectly. Yes, and they also brought it up again last season with the last appearance yeah. of, of La Waxana Troy in the Muse, where she mentioned Acastra. I think that um, I guess why it bothers me so much that that Garrick is sort of in uh, not in character in this episode, and you know, and also why Odo to some degree isn't, is that it feels like something that Deep Space Nine so far has not done too much of, mm-hmm. which is make the characters fit the plot rather yeah. than making the plot fit the characters. And I think that they needed some sort of way for them. I, I think that they... Need- you know what would have been much more interesting is if Goldicott had replaced Garrick in this episode, frankly. Oh, yeah. That, well, that would have been great. Yeah. number Because, number one, you could see Goldicott speaking at the... wanting to speak at this conference and give the real side. He Because he was the commander of Tarak Noor, he would have... You know, an open invite to go. He would worm his way onto the shuttle just to annoy everybody. And frankly, he would feel, you know, he would be feeling this way about the Bajorans because that, that's how they saw them. He would want to go up to the real girl, the cod, immediately. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, talk to him and everyone would know what a bad idea that was. Like, I don't know. Maybe like changing up the characters a little bit would have made it a better episode. Yeah. I agree but, with you, actually. I think that, that the, all of the reactions that Garrick has in this episode and the dialogue that Garrick has, frankly, does seem to work or would work better for Gul Dukat. Yeah. You know, because again, it's like, Garrick, you're not like this. Yeah. And I think that's my problem is like when you just see a show like that, you see when you see a show that is sort of twisting the characters into acting a way that they need to to get a certain plot across, it it it, it never works. It, yes. it never seems earned. And it especially doesn't... when you have such good, good and well-drawn characters as these. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I mean, I will say, though, that I think that that, um, Odo has a couple of good scenes in this episode. I think, you know, as he gets more and more panicked and strident about the fact that he knows that they're all going to be executed and yeah. they're in the cell and um, he's yelling at threats yeah. to do a real investigation. I mean, that works really well. And there are parts of the episode that work well. But I think that this is one of those episodes that works in spite of the material, not because yeah. of it, unfortunately. Again, just because the premise itself is so interesting that, you know, even if they don't quite take it to the best part, you know... I lo- even if the solution to the mystery isn't the most satisfying, the tone of the mystery was good. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I will say that I always do like going back to Tarek Noir. Yeah. I think that uh, uh, on a production level, they do a really good job at oh, making yeah. the station feel feel very different than it than deep space and nine it's does. mostly just some set dressing and lighting really yeah, but yeah yeah um and this is less of a feeling now that we're in the middle of season five but i mean the first shots of terak nor that we would see again in that odo and kira episode were such a contrast because again deep space nine felt very unwelcoming at first and then we saw how unwelcoming it was and now the characters are feeling at home, so it is that weird feeling of not being home. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And especially, I guess it is interesting to have this time-traveling episode a couple episodes after uh, Trials and Tribulations, because that was going into the past, and that was a fun and warm, and even Dax felt like, oh, I miss this time period about no one misses this time period. Golducott does. Golducott misses this time <laughs> period, but that's, that's about it. That's about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you enjoy our podcast and would like to give us a little monetary support. We would appreciate it very much. 
Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is Show. And as always, uh, please leave us a positive iTunes review. If you have not done so, it is the best way for new fans to find the show. And we'll read it on the air. So have a couple of new podcasts coming out for you. Oh my God. We actually just released the July patron special, which is about uh, examination of Spock, Data, and Odo, the three characters that look at humans. Our three Pinocchios. And uh, coming up tomorrow... We have Trek About Presents Ghostbusters. So look forward to that. Next week, we'll be talking about the DS9 episodes, surprisingly enough. Not Voyager. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. The Ascent and Rapture.